Welcome back to Revive School. Here we are, Lesson 70. Praise God, we still have the expert in the house. We have Max Ray here. You know, we, we begin to scratch the surface on, on the rapture. But today, Kevin, it's really where we just jump all in. Going over the cliff. When I talk about the rapture, remember how we talked about yesterday? How, Kevin, if let's just go there. First Thessalonians 4, uh, specifically verse 16 and 17. says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the archangel's voice, with the trumpet of God. In other words, everybody's going to get attention. Everybody's going to hear that the return of Christ, the return of Yeshua is coming. And the dead in Christ will first rise, will rise first. In other words, those that are asleep, that believe in him, they're going to come and meet him in the air. And then those that are still alive will be caught up together with them in the clouds. So there's going to be an unbelievable heavenly party in the clouds that seems like it would be first heaven, right, Kevin? Right? Because we're still in the earth's atmosphere, right? So we're here in the earth's atmosphere meeting up with Christ. And so we'll always be with the Lord. Like this is the rapture. When will that happen? When will we be driving a car, listening to ESPN radio, and then all of a sudden, (laughs) like when will that happen? When will be the airplane pilot that's flying the plane? And the next thing you know, he just like literally just goes parallel, (laughs) right? Because Christ could be right, right next to him in the air. Like the point is, is at some point somebody could be playing baseball and at that any given moment the Lord could come back and instantly we could meet up with him in the air. What an awesome picture. And like we've we've talked about that picture to freak people out like, ooh, like, no, nah, man, that just gives us hope. And that reason alone should what drive us to tell other people about Christ. We want everybody to meet with Christ, to be with him forever. So this is what we're talking about today is this rapture. When does it happen? Remember, we don't know. That's kind of the beauty of this whole argument. Nobody ever has won the argument. I don't know. Kevin, do you know? Have you ever you got it figured out? It says in Matthew that the son doesn't even know. So if he doesn't know, we're in good company. Our experts should know, though, right? Yeah, and I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that, that's just the backdrop. Now, remember, our theme for First Thessalonians okay, is coming Lord. And so when you jump into 1 Thessalonians 5, remember Paul is sending Timothy, he's sending the letter, and he's saying, I'm praying for you that you would walk in holiness and and walk this thing out so that you're truly ready. That's your transition. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1, it says this, about the times and the seasons. Brothers, you don't need to know anything to be written. You do not need anything to be written to you. Well, then why does he write about it? Like, why does he create this theological stir? He says, in other words, it, it doesn't have to be that important. Right, Kevin? I mean, isn't that what he's implying? It's like he's saying to them, you know this stuff. I'm going to write it down just as a reminder. Something, I don't know. <laughs> Rich, what just happened? Well, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I see. I can, I can see where people want to take the pre-trib thing here. I look at the first verses, I guess, 1 through 11, and you could look at it and read it as just like First Thess- uh, Thessalonians chapter 3. It's like, guys, I just need you to keep walking this out and living, living you know, your lives for the Lord. Yeah, I mean, verse 1 is really, it really is, Rich. It is, it's really chapter 3 and chapter 4 just saying, guys, I'm going to talk about it, but it, it doesn't really matter. It does matter. Because you need to get ready for it, but you don't know when he's coming. So I just need you to walk out the sanctification, the holiness, getting right standing with the Lord. Like that's really what he's after. 
In fact, in Acts 8, uh, Acts 1, verse 7, Kevin, you alluded to this. Uh, but Jesus said, it is not for you to know times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. Like, you don't know when I'm coming back. So in the meantime, what I love about Acts 1, 8, he says is, in the meantime, I'm going to give you the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to give you the power that you need to be my witnesses in Judea, in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and to the, to the ends of the earth. Like this is Acts 1, 8 is our verse that we must live until the coming of the Lord takes place. But the reality is, and the reason Christ hasn't come back is, is we're not living like that. We're not. Because I, I'm going to keep saying this. I actually believe we're holding back the return of Christ. And you're like, well, what does that mean? Well, scripture says until all of the Gentiles have had a chance to hear the gospel, he's not coming back. So Acts 1, 8 we haven't continued to walk out what he's already commissioned us to do. So there's these layers and layers and layers. It's not just one layer, okay, that are constantly getting in the way until he says, oh, now is the time. I mean, ultimately, you guys, once the Gentiles cry out to the Lord, guess what happens? The Jews say, hey, that was for me. And then the scripture says, then they mourn and weep about the ones that they have pierced. And then it says they cry out and then he says he comes back. So there's different, there's different little indicators. There's not just one indicator. And I think that's the crazy part is, is that he says, hey, look, it's not for you to know the times or the periods. And that's what he says in verse one of First Thessalonians five. He says about times and seasons. Brothers, you don't need to know anything to be written to you. However, in verse two, uh, he says, for you yourselves know very well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. All right. This is what I want to do. When you just think day of the Lord, because I think, Kevin, without any of us intensely studying this, just like everyday believers, what do you think of when you think of the day of the Lord? I I think about it instantly coming back okay. too. So the day seems like a 24-hour period uh, just because that's the language. Which it could be. Absolutely. Rich, when you hear day of the Lord, what do you think of? I think of just, I don't know, I have this picture of like the heavens parting and here comes Jesus, of, like it says in Revelation, you know, with King of Kings and Lord of Lords and he's coming on this great white horse and... It's visible for everyone to see, and it's just going to happen suddenly and quickly. And some people are going to just be going about their day randomly, and it's going to happen. Okay. Max, what do you think of when you hear Day of the Lord? It's like the best holiday ever. <laughs> you know, there's this discussion of the Day of the Lord. You know, in Genesis, sometimes a day actually means 24 hours. Sometimes a day actually means a whole week. So it goes back to the whole time frame. We don't understand the time. So when you think of a day of the Lord, it might not just mean like instantly everything takes place and unfolds in 24 hours. That makes like, so I kind of want to just throw that, that logic out the window sometimes. It could, it could. God's time frame and his timetable is completely not on our watch. We can't even grasp what that implies, but I do want to talk through this day of the Lord mentality. Okay. A couple different things. Nelson's commentary says there's two things that it implies when the day of the Lord takes place. One is you're going to see God's judgment against sinful people. Okay. So the day of the Lord, you'll see God's judgment against sinful people and you will see God's eternal reign over his people. You will see the point is, is clearly God is drawing a line. 
right? That would make sense because it, clearly he's going to be drawing people unto him. When God judges the world and punishes the nations, you got to think about it this way. Okay, Nelson says at the same time, God is going to prepare Israel for the return of Christ to earth to establish his kingdom. When you think day of the Lord, you have to align yourself with the Old Testament mentality as well. It always connects with Israel. Always. The day of the Lord is always preparing his people for his return. Like there's still an underlying tone. So obviously the day of the Lord, there's another language that you can use. The second coming. Okay, people would use the day of the Lord could imply second coming. Now, one thing you have to understand, this language, you're going to be like, what? Whoa, whoa, whoa. People use different terminologies and not everybody agrees. Okay, so I want to just make sure that's clear. So when some people say the day of the Lord, some people also go to Jeremiah 30, verse 7. Okay, Jeremiah 30, verse 7. Some people go to this as well, and they call it uh, a time of Jacob's trouble. How awful that day will be. There'll be none like it. It'll be a time of trouble for Jacob, but he will be delivered out of it. So the day of the Lord is coming and you have to understand the day of the Lord implies uh, promise and potential for Israel. But most of us don't ever think about the day of the Lord tying with Israel. I don't. I naturally just think according to this scripture, what does it say, Kevin? They'll be delivered. Right? Isn't that, this is what this is implying. But I always think a day of the Lord and yay, I get to meet up with the Lord in the clouds. It does. And there's so much more to this. Some people also say the day of the Lord could also be called the tribulation. Like some would say, as soon as he comes, boom, here we go. The tribulation starts. I'm just throwing out how people use different language. I will tell you this is that when the day of the Lord does take place, you can expect, and I like what Wearsby says, the birth of the kingdom to take place. There's a new era that will be taking place because of the day of the Lord. Okay, so when you see, going back to verse 2, the day of the Lord is going to come like a thief in the night, Jesus used this image. In Matthew 24, verse 42. Matthew 24, verse 42 through 43. And it's an interesting description because it describes sadness and surprise. Matthew 24, verse 42 says, Therefore, be alert, since you don't know what day your Lord is coming, verse 43, but know this. If the homeowner had known what time the thief was coming, he would have stayed alert and not let his house be broken into. In other words, it's game on. In the world today, you have to understand, you put the armor of God as it talks about in Ephesians, and you have to engage in the battle so that you are truly ready. Or it's the 10 virgins, you got to have the oil, you got to have be ready with your lamps. You have to be ready for him to come. And that's what he's saying, you must be ready. Verse 44 says, because the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So, However you want to view verse two, the day of the Lord implies Jesus is coming. And so it's going to keep implying he's coming at any given moment. So he says in verse three, when they say peace and security, they meaning the unsaved. Okay, they meaning uh, the unsaved, the unbelievers. When they're saying peace and security, like, oh, hey, things are going well, then sudden destruction comes on them. In other words, the comfort and uh, the safety and the security is what they're implying, but destruction comes on them. The day of the Lord comes on them like labor pains come on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. Judgment is coming to those that don't trust in Christ. There's no other way around it. As scripture says, they will not escape. In fact, there's a warning here, you guys, in 1 Thessalonians 5 that I don't want it to miss. I want us to understand we have been warned. In verse four, uh, but brothers, this is what I love. You brothers, the Thessalonians, you're not in the dark. 
for this day to overtake you like a thief. You already know it's coming. That's what I love about our phrase for First Thessalonians. It's all about the coming Lord and you don't have to be in the dark about it. And he says in verse five, he's super complimentary for you are all sons of light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then we must not sleep like the rest. But we must stay awake and be sober. In other words, don't don't be drunk. Scripture says we need to be awake and alert. In verse seven, for those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk are drunk at night. In other words, I think this is a fair statement. Um, Like if you're functioning in drunkenness, you're never prepared for his return. For 20 centuries, I like what Wearsby says here. uh, We've been given the promise that the Lord could come back at any time. That's a long time. And he hasn't come back. And if you go to 2 Peter 3, 8, here's where I want to transition today. 2 Peter 3, 8 uh, says, Dear friends, don't let this one thing escape you. With the, with the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. God is completely on a different calendar. So are we supposed to live like he could come back at any time, like the birth pains could happen? Absolutely. The Old Testament, all throughout Isaiah, you guys, Isaiah 13, 26, 66, 30, constantly it's talking about birthing pains. And here's the deal. It's the beginning. Matthew 24, verse 8, Kevin, if you'll go there. Birthing pains is the beginning of sorrows. Matthew 24, verse 8. All these events are the beginning of birth pains. All right. Let's begin to unpack uh, where it really gets sticky. But since we belong to the day, what do you think that means since we belong to the day right not the night not the darkness but we belong to the light we must be sober and, and look what it says you guys you got to arm up you have to get ready for the battle put on the armor of faith and love on our chest and put on a helmet of this of the hope of salvation i love that they put the love of our on our chests I love that. I love that it's not just like this. Hey, guys, get on your horses. We're going to a battle. No, look, guys, we have to be constantly functioning in faith, hope and love. Put on the armor of faith. You believe that God's going to show up. You believe that Jesus is your Messiah. You put on the love of chest and you exemplify Christ. You give up your life for other people. And then you put on this helmet of the hope of salvation that he's coming back. Yes, for us in this process. And then in verse nine, this is where the discussion begins. This is where the discussion begins of what this looks like of when we're meeting with Christ in the clouds. Verse nine, it says, for God did not appoint us to wrath, but obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another, build each other up as you are already doing. So let me just say this, regardless of when the rapture happens, okay, when we meet him in the clouds, Kevin, I think it's a fair, fair to say in verse 10, it says we will live together with him. It doesn't matter if it happens before the tribulation, during the tribulation or after the tribulation, we will be with Christ. Are we all in agreement? Agreed. So I think for me, you can hang your hat on that. And don't worry about getting all built up and, you know, uh, frustrated. How about if we present other ideas? I just want to present them to you. Drew. Can you just give like... So we're all on the same page. 32nd, what is the tribulation? Tribulation. Pre and post and... Tribulation, most people would communicate the tribulation. So I say most because some people have tribulation as a a longer definition. Tribulation is is these seven years 
Okay, Antichrist comes into the play, right? He initiates peace. The first three and a half years, it's calm, it's good. The temple, though, is rebuilt. In the middle of the three and a half years, the Antichrist shows up. Rich, what does he say in the temple? He says that he is God and that you should worship me. He says that he is God. The next three and a half years of those seven years is all out. uh, I want to say hell, but it's not ultimately hell. It's tribulation. You're going to see all kinds. The wrath of God is what you'll see. Okay, so there's seven years. First three and a half years are peace. The last three and a half years, there's wrath. Okay, in those seven years, people say we're going to be taken out before those seven years or we'll be in the middle of it and taken out right before the the three and a half years or we'll have to deal with all seven years and then we're taken out at the end. Okay, does that make sense? So that would be the the perspective of when are we going to be raptured in uh, in before or after those seven years? Rich, anything else you want to clean up on that? No, I think you've done a good job. Okay, so 1 Thessalonians 1.10, this is one of the supporting cases, okay? So it says, And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. One of the pre-trib views, okay, of leaving is that Jesus will rescue us from the coming wrath. So they equate the coming wrath with the seven years. Which it could also be the second, kind of a mid-trib totally. support. Okay, one other view is 1 Thessalonians 5.9. Okay, which is what we've already articulated. First Thessalonians 5, 9 says, For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, pre-trib view here says, if God didn't appoint us to wrath, then we're not going to have to go through these seven years of, of tribulation. Okay, so this would be a supporting view. Now, one of the things, Warren Wearsby, my buddy, right, who has recently passed away, he believes that there is uh, the rapture is before the tribulation. Okay. I'm just going to tell you now, I don't, I don't necessarily hold to that view. I'm okay if you do. But I'm going to list just a couple reasons why, why he would take this view. Okay, So again, I'm also not going to tell you which view I'm going to take. So I think it's better if I just keep saying I'm not going to view any of these because it's really quite confusing. Uh, one of the reasons he says is that there's the nature of church. Uh, he promised us that we won't taste in John 5, 24, any of God's wrath. The church will not uh, embrace any of it. So that's one of the arguments, okay? Another one of the arguments is, and this is an interesting one, okay? The promise of, uh, well, let me read John 5, 24. Anybody who hears my word, believes him who has sent me has eternal life and will not come under judgment, but has passed from death to life. This would be a a verse that they hold. Do you think that that would tie to that? Not necessarily, or maybe. I will tell you this, the one argument that I do, I'm like, man, that's a pretty good argument, is that there's the promise of Christ's imminent return. If it's the promise of Christ's imminent return and the seven years have begun, you can almost say, well, three and a half years, we signed the peace agreement that, you know, he signed with the 10 nations. Hey, we're going to have peace with Israel, the Antichrist. You can almost say to a, t- to a T, hey, here's three and a half years or here's seven years, right? Wouldn't you be able to at least have a much better idea? So a lot of people that don't like mid-trib or post-trib, it's because they feel like you could then almost predict the time because if the return, if you get raptured at any given moment, okay, then fine, you never know. And then the tribulation can happen. That makes sense? So there's a valid argument in that just simply for his imminent return because we don't really ever know. I'm not going to get into this, but I will tell you, people use the seven churches in Revelation and the core. I've never heard this, by the way, that there's a progression in the churches of Revelation. 
it's kind of an interesting way to look at it. Like Ephesus is a church of the apostles. Smyrna is a persecuted church. Uh, Laodicea is the last, the apostate church of the last days. You throw in there the Philadelphia church, which we talk about, Philia, interesting, weak but fruitful before he returns. There's different ways of looking at the church and preparing for a pre-trib view. I'm just telling you different arguments. I just not necessarily saying I agree with all that. So that's one of the speculations. We shouldn't be here for any of the tribulation. The only thing I will tell you is this, is that Christ sure seemed like he went through a lot. It sure seems like any time he asked believers to go through something, he never really pulls them out. He keeps them in there to trust in him. Now, is that a good argument? Not necessarily, but I think it's a valid argument. Is that very rarely does he pull his people out of times. He allows them to trust in him. And think about Daniel and the lions then. Like you say, well, that's not even close. I'm just saying like God gets the glory when he uses us in those times. So what do you do with some of these perspectives? Okay. In Second Thessalonians 2, 3, Kevin, we haven't even gotten into Second Thessalonians yet, but it says that you not be, Second Thessalonians 2, 3 says that don't let anybody deceive you in any way. For that day will not come, okay, the day of the Lord will not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. So according to this verse, what has to happen first? Uh, the three and a half years when he, the Antichrist comes into the temple. Yeah, you got to see the Antichrist come into play. So according to 2 Thessalonians 2.3, you have to see the Antichrist revealed. So this verse would validate the mid-trib or post-trib or pre-wrath, however you want to label that, view of the rapture. Since the Antichrist and his apostasy happens... Okay, we know that at the abomination of desolation at the three and a half years. I hope I didn't lose anybody there. Okay, the abomination of desolation is when the Antichrist says at three and a half years, hey, he claims to be God. And that's when you're like, whoa. And he says the day won't happen until that the apostasy comes first. The man of lawlessness is the Antichrist. The son of destruction is the Antichrist. So 2 Thessalonians 2, 3 either contradicts 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 or contradicts 1 Thessalonians 1, 10 or it actually supports it. I'm pretty sure Paul wouldn't send two different messages in 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians. Okay, does that make sense so far? Again, this is a mid-trib or post-trib view of, here's the whole discussion, when will we meet Christ up in the clouds? Okay, another angle, Kevin, Revelation 6, 16. Revelation 6.16 says, And they said to the mountains uh, and to the rocks, Fall on us, 6.16, Fall on us and hide the uh, hide us from the face of the one seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Well, what does this imply? This implies that there are believers going through this period of time, Correct. Pre-trib believes the full seven years of the tribulation is God's wrath to claim the passage that says we are not made for wrath and only for salvation. Okay, that would be the pre-trib view. This section of Revelation, right, what we just read, teaches that there are seven seals. Don't worry, we're going to get to this down the road. That teaches that there are seven seals, okay, that Jesus breaks to reveal the events of the tribulation. There's going to be seven seals that take place. According to these verses that we just read, in chapter 8, God's wrath is not poured out until the seventh seal. So this is really the backbone of the argument 
for every other position, mid or post-trib, except pre-trib. Does that make sense? So if it hasn't happened yet, then we have to go through it. Okay, I understand there's a lot there. Just understand that uh, this is a supporting verse for mid or post-trib. Okay, I want to go to, uh, let's see if we can go to one more here. Revelation 7, 9, and 14. Doesn't this just get you excited for Revelation? (laughs) Revelation 7, 9, and 14. I just don't want to miss this right now as a setup for more. After this, I looked and there was a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language, which no one could number, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were robed in white with palm branches in their hand. Now, if you go to verse 14, it says this, And I said to him, Sir, you know. Then he told me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Okay, so what this is implying, okay, is in chapter 7, comes after the sixth seal, stating the day of wrath has come in chapter six. Okay, so the sixth seal happened in chapter six. Chapter eight is the seventh seal. The seventh seal, which is God's wrath. So between, hang in here, between chapter, uh, between chapter six, right? And uh, hang on here, let me say okay. six and eight. Six and eight, yeah. Okay, in between the announcement of the day of wrath, And the wrath being poured out describes 144,000 that are sealed to go through the the wrath and the rapture. So you have believers actually going through the wrath and experiencing the rapture. So what this happens is the above passages that we've just referenced are describing the raptured people who came out of the great tribulation. The term great tribulation is language that Jesus uses in Matthew 24. For the part of the tribulation that comes after the abomination of the desolation. The abomination of desolation starts at, Kevin, three and a half years. The Antichrist is revealed. There's a peace agreement. At three and a half years, okay, it starts, This is you have to understand this, halfway through the tribulation. There will be people that come out of the tribulation. So you could have an argument. If there is a rapture, it has to take place at mid or post. All right, I'm going to go one more and then we're done. Okay, hang in there with me. So we're we're communicating that the rapture, okay, that Paul is talking to the Thessalonians. He says, hey, guys, when you meet Jesus in the clouds, the dead will rise first. Those that believe in the death, death, burial and resurrection and those that are alive, we're all going to be with him and be with him forever. The question is, when are we all going to meet with Christ in the clouds? That's what we're talking about. Will it happen before seven years of tribulation, will it happen in the middle of tribulation, or will it happen at the end? That's all we're discussing. Does it really matter? I would just say, yes, just get ready. That's, that's all I want to emphasize over and over again. But you have to hear Matthew 24, 29 through 31. I want to just say thanks to Ray Sturdivant, who Ray and I studied at Chick-fil-A for quite a long time going through these verses. And Ray is uh, one of my in-house theologians that I love and respect and Matthew 24, 29 through 31 says, Immediately after the tribulation of those days, this is huge, after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not shed its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the celestial powers will be shaken. Verse 30. Then, remember it says after the tribulation, then the son of man will appear in the sky and then all of the peoples of the earth will mourn and they will see the son of man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Now, before we go on, Doesn't this sound like a picture that what we've been describing in the day of the Lord? 
He's going to come on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Now watch in verse 31. He will send out his angels with a loud trumpet. Did we not talk about this sound? And they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the sky to another. Possibly verse 30 and 31, you guys, are describing the rapture. And then verse 29 says that it comes after the tribulation of those days. And so here you have a great argument for a post-trib and or pre-wrath trib view. When will we meet Christ in the, in the air, in the clouds? Will it come before the tribulation, in the middle of the tribulation, or at the end? I don't know. But what I love about this is, is my prayer is, is that it causes every one of us to get ready today. Have a great day, guys, and we'll talk to you tomorrow. Thanks.